0: Stuttgart, Germany. It's the last days of the horrible World War II. If you were in Stuttgart, Germany, you would see before you the famous Church of the Hospitallers. The pastor is a noted young theologian by the name of Helmut Thielecki. Bombs have been falling by day and night as the final German resistance was crumbling and And very slowly and relentlessly, the Russian army was approaching from the east. And from the west, the Allies were gaining ground day after day after day. It was only a matter of time before this Third Reich, or this 1,000-year Reich, collapses and falls to the ground. Now, through the long years of World War II, Pastor Tielecki, preached the gospel to this German congregation in Stuttgart. And now the end, though, of this war was in sight. And, And he was wondering to himself, what does a man say in a moment like this? Where does he go to find truth that his people need to hear? And so what he did was he chose to preach a series of sermons based on the Lord's Prayer. It was a series of sermons that was so popular... So famous that they were later translated into English and put into a book called Our Heavenly Father. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but I'll be honest with you, it strikes me as being a little bit unusual, maybe even a little bit odd. I mean, when the bombs are falling all around you, why would somebody choose to preach on something theoretical like the Lord's Prayer? Why wouldn't he have dealt with something a little bit more practical? Now, I don't mean that as some sort of a critical comment because I know my responsibility as a pastor is to every week bring you the word of the living God, Um, and I certainly have never been in the situation that Pastor Tielecki has been in where bombs were falling all around me and my church would shake during the services, but I would suggest to you that very few pastors would decide to preach on the Lord's Prayer when the world is falling apart. Now, looking back on his experience, Pastor Tillich, he commented that as he looked out at his congregation towards the end of World War II, he could see the fear and the desperation in their faces. These people were living in constant tension, not knowing when the Allied planes would come back and rain down more bombs and more destruction and still more death. And in his book, he spoke about, quote, the torment of doubt and despair as people in this desperate time, reached out for hope. There's one little phrase in that book, though, that really got to me. He wrote, quote, The Lord's Prayer was able to contain it all. End of quote. The Lord's Prayer was able to contain it all. He said all the hope you needed was right there in the midst of that. And It's part of the reason why I chose to do that this summer. I'm not suggesting that we're at the end of World War II, but I would suggest to you that we are in a situation in our country today, in our state, even in our community, where things are a little bit shaky. We worry a little bit about the economy. We worry a little bit about the direction of our country. We worry a little bit about people being engaged in armed conflict all around the world. There's all kinds of things. And maybe in this time period, we too need some hope And where can we find it but in the Lord's Prayer? Like T. said, the Lord's Prayer is able to contain it all. You know, in 20 centuries of Christian history, no prayer has ever surpassed the eloquent simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't remember how old I was when I first learned the Lord's Prayer. Maybe some of you actually remember. I, I was probably four or five years old, you know, growing up in a Lutheran family and going to a Lutheran grade school. No doubt I I learned it already by the time I was going into kindergarten or kindergarten. I feel like I've known this prayer my entire life. And my travels have taken me all over the world and into churches that span the denominational spectrum. I have shared in it rather stayed Russian worship services, and I've stood and I've clapped my hands with a bunch of happy Haitians believers as well. Now I've discovered that all Christians know the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer transcends language, it transcends ritual and culture and race. Simple though it is, the Lord's Prayer is part of the glue that holds the entire body of Christ, I'm talking about the whole Christian church together. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is one of three foundational documents of the entire Christian church. Now, I could ask you a question. If the Lord's Prayer is one of three important articles of faith, of the Christian faith, do you know what the other two might be? Anybody want to venture a guess? The Apostles' Creed, that's number two, and the Ten Commandments, there you go. Essential truth, every essential truth that you need to know as a Christian is found in those three documents. The Apostles' Creed tells us what we believe. The Ten Commandments tells us how we are to behave. And the Lord's Prayer tells us how we are to pray. You might think about it as belief and action and prayer. It's all right there in the Lord's Prayer. And as you go back and study church history, and you look at all branches of the Christian church, whether you're looking at the Orthodox, or the Catholic, or the Protestant uh, denominational backgrounds, wherever you find a catechism, you will always find a section about the Lord's Prayer, I remember nearly 20 years ago on my very first trip to Russia shortly after the collapse uh, of communism, our team visited uh, several churches and in every last one of them, whether they were traditional or contemporary, they sang the Lord's Prayer in every service we were in. It seemed to me to be a part, a standard part of every worship service. But, you know, the same is true in all churches around this world. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is nothing insignificant. The Lord's Prayer is nothing that's meant to be peripheral. It is central to our understanding of what the Christian faith is all about. Now, I've spent about 45 years in the ministry here in the United States and around the world. Everybody seems to agree on one thought. There's one thought that we all need to have a deeper knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to come to that through prayer. The challenge before the entire Christian church, I think, that I hear all over the place, is a challenge for us to be a praying people. To know Jesus better and to bring our needs to him in a deeper and more personal and a more intimate way. In fact, I would wager a bet that virtually every pastor of every Christian denomination would say much the same thing. They would say, we all need to pray more. We all want to pray more. We all feel the call to pray. We dream of having churches that we could call a praying church. We dream of a time that our churches could be called a house of prayer. Now, when I think about a house of prayer or a praying church, It's kind of hard to define exactly what that means, but I can tell you, you'll know it if you ever see it. You will know it because sometimes you can sense it. You can walk in and say, here's a group of people who pray. You will feel it. You will know that when you walk in, here's a group of people who won't just say, I'll pray for you, which is a way of saying, okay, now go away. I need to talk to somebody else, but who would actually pray for you. Now, that brings us back to the Lord's Prayer as a foundational document. When the disciples asked Jesus, we've seen John teaching his disciples to pray. Could you teach us how to do it as well? We've seen you do it. Could you teach us to pray? Jesus taught them this very simple prayer. Now, someone has said we can always do more once we have prayed the Lord's Prayer, but we can hardly say we have prayed at all until we have prayed as Jesus taught us to pray. Now, I'm going to tell you about a problem I have with the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's a problem that all of us that are gathered here this morning have with the Lord's Prayer. It's this, we have prayed this prayer so many times in our lives that we literally take it for granted. Comes time in the church service, we all pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay, hi, Father Horton. We just kind of rattle it off. It's just like an old pair of shoes. Very comfortable. I want to read you something that Martin Luther had to say about the Lord's Prayer. This may surprise you. Martin Luther said that the Lord's Prayer was, quote, the greatest martyr in the church, end quote. He went on to say it's because everyone tortures and abuses this poor prayer. Now, he went on and explained, he said, in his day, when they had church, every morning, every afternoon, and every evening, every service, they had to say the Lord's Prayer. And they did it so often that it became just a meaningless habit. I would suggest to you that we probably all know this prayer too well, but understand this prayer too little. I remember somebody at a conference a number of years ago that said, you cannot really pray the Lord's Prayer well in less than an hour. Now, how long do you think it takes you to pray it most of the time? 30 seconds? You're only, what, uh, 59 minutes and 30 seconds short of doing it well, according to this one person. So There's so much in there to think about. We could stop and, and talk just about the word hour for hours but we'll do that next Sunday. I'm going to ask you, though, as we begin this series of messages, to to prayerfully open your hearts and your minds as this prayer invites us into the very heart of God. And I want to begin today with kind of two very simple observations. Observation number one is that the Lord's Prayer is given to us as a guide or pattern or a model or a framework of what Christian prayer is all about. But when you think about the Lord's Prayer, we typically think of one of two extremes. One is you absolutely, positively have to pray this prayer every time you have a church service. In fact, the last time I preached about the Lord's Prayer, I told the people, all the time while I preach about this, we are not going to say the Lord's Prayer. There were some people who were shaken to the very roots of their Lutheranism. There have been times when, for just some reason or another, I just decided not to include it. And people come up afterwards, they don't notice anything else. They, they, they don't know whether you preach the gospel or if you preach uh, false doctrine, but what they knew was, you didn't use the Lord's Prayer. Okay, That's one extreme. The other extreme is to never use it ever whether it be in church or in your own personal life. Well, of course, uh, the way of wisdom is somewhere in between. Now, there is absolutely, believe it or not, no biblical mandate to say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. There is no biblical mandate to say that every meeting has to start with the Lord's Prayer and end with the Lord's Prayer. But we would do well to have a greater grasp of what Jesus is actually saying to us in this prayer. I mean, the Lord's Prayer, when I thought about this, is an answer to what does Christian prayer look like? I'll tell you the answer to that. It looks like the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't have to sound like the Lord's Prayer. It can be said in different languages. It certainly can be said in different words and different forms and different styles. But truly, Christian prayer looks like the Lord's Prayer. Here's the second thing you ought to know about, just an observation. It's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Both times in the New Testament, once in Matthew 6, I just read that to you, and once in Luke 11, and the the version in Matthew 6, a little bit longer, is considered to be the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer. And when I just read it to you, some of you said, but that's not the way we pray it. In fact, maybe we ought to start praying it the way Jesus taught it. But see, we've kind of, not embellished, but we've kind of broadened it out. We'll get to that a little bit later. Now, with that in mind, I want to get you back into the scriptures here. Matthew 6, in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, not on the Mount, on the Mount, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he says there's really two different kinds of prayer, bad prayer, good prayer. Bad prayer is that kind where people pray just to be seen, just to be heard, just so they could do all of their eloquent King James language of the therefores and the theists and thouists and whosoeverists and all that kind of stuff. And he said, "That's, that's not good. On the other hand is this good prayer where he says, you literally go into your closet and you pray and you talk to your father in secret from your heart. And then he says, and you want to know what that's like? Here it is. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, if we have the Lord's Prayer, and I've got it right here in front of me, you know, if we kind of back away and kind of take a panoramic view of the Lord's Prayer, I think there would be three things that ought to come to mind. One is just how simple this prayer is. It doesn't have any long words. It's got no strange theological expressions like, Eschatological. It's got no obscure phrases that we gotta wonder what it's all about. It's got no genealogy, no begats and begots and all that kind of stuff in there. The second thing is, you notice how brief it is. Typically it's only about sixty-five words long, which is about half of Psalm twenty-three, which we just finished, that had about 120 words. In fact, in Greek, in the original language, no petition has more than ten words. I mean, just think about it. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done. Short, sweet, to the point. The third thing is, I, I'm just absolutely amazed. as I've gone through this and read it and read it and read it and read it, and read it again and, and preparing for these messages is just how absolutely comprehensive the Lord's prayer is. Everything, everything you'd ever want to pray is in this prayer. It is the prayer that has it all. The past, the present, and the future are in this prayer. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in this prayer. God is in this prayer. You are in this prayer. Everything is there. I mean, think about this. The first half of the prayer talks about God, his name, his kingdom, his will. The second half of the prayer talks about man. Give us, forgive us, lead us not you got the past, forgive us our debts. You've got the present, God give us today. You've got the future, don't lead us into temptation. You've got hallowed be thy name, it's the Father who magnifies his name. You've got your kingdom come, because it's the Son who establishes his kingdom. Your will be done is the Holy Spirit who executes the will of God. Or give us this day our daily bread, that's the Father's provision. Forgive us our debts. That's the son's pardon for our sin. Lead us not into temptation. That's the Holy Spirit's power to take us away from sinful activities. The Lord's Prayer begins with some simple little words. It says, Our Father in heaven. It does not say, Our Father which art in heaven, by the way. But in here, it says, Our Father in heaven. We're going to look at that next week. I'm really excited about next week's message already. I'm, I'm excited about all of them, to be real honest but focusing upward to the Father about his name, about his kingdom, about his will. And when we get done directing our prayers up to God, then what? Then we can talk about our family. We pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for pardon. Forgive us our debts. We pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation. Everything that is legitimate to pray, is found in the Lord's Prayer. That must be exactly why Pastor what what he meant when he wrote, the Lord's Prayer is able to contain it all. Now, before we get into the prayer itself, I want to take a moment to consider a question about prayer. It's a prayer that's plagued a lot of Christians, I think, for a long time. The question kind of goes this way. If God knows everything before we ever pray... And if God truly wants to provide for us anyway, why bother praying? I mean, isn't prayer just kind of a waste of time? Or you might put it this way, if God has ordained everything, if God knows everything that's going to happen, won't he do whatever he's going to want to do, whether we pray or not? Why bother? I want to ask you to raise your hand whether you've ever thought that. But I'll be honest with you, I've wondered about it. Why, if God's going to do whatever God's going to do, why do I need to bother praying? Well, the answer to that question would go something like this. We don't pray to inform God of anything. Because God knows everything from beginning to the end. I mean, it's not as if God needs your prayers or my prayers or the prayers of this church in order for him to gather accurate information to do whatever it is he wants to do. God does not need our prayers. But we need to pray. Now, why do we need to pray? We need to pray in order to express our complete dependence upon our Heavenly Father. We need to pray in order to build up our faith. We need to pray because He is God and we are not. We need to pray because God has ordained that our prayers are part of His unfolding plan for the universe. See, and in that sense, there's no contradiction between God's sovereignty and our prayers. God invites us to join with Him in this great adventure of advancing the kingdom of God. Literally, as someone has said, we partner with God when we pray. We might even say that God kind of voluntarily limits what he does in this world so that we can join with him in prayer. That's why sometimes we we can honestly say some things happen when we pray that wouldn't happen otherwise if we didn't pray. Let me give you a human example here. I want you to picture a father Uh, sitting in his chair watching his four-year-old daughter putting together a puzzle. She's trying and trying, but she just can't quite get the pieces in the right place. Her father is watching with a great deal of interest, but he is not interfering at all. Finally, she kind of walks up to him, leans in his lap and looks up in his eyes and says, Daddy... Would you help me put the puzzle together? And he smiles and he gets out of his chair and he gets down the floor and together they begin to pick up each piece and one by one they put that puzzle together. Now let me ask you, why didn't that father help his daughter earlier? I mean, for one thing, I'll tell you why, she didn't ask for his help. For another, he wanted her to be able to try to do it on her own. And most of all, he wanted her to ask him for help. And when she finally asked him for help, he was honored and gladly helped her finish the puzzle. Now, isn't that kind of a picture of how our Heavenly Father deals with us? I mean, although he, he really wants to come to our rescue immediately, he waits until we ask. I mean, sometimes he literally wants us to come to the end of our rope, get to the end of our own pitiful resources before he ever intervenes. And so, finally, when we cry out in despair, he's honored. He's honored as we express our complete dependence upon him. I mean, these are fervent prayers. I said the fervent prayer of that little girl. In fact, every fervent prayer you ever pray is kind of like a little child shouting out, Daddy, I can't do this by myself. Do you pray those fervent prayers? Daddy, I can't do this by myself. See, those kind of prayers get God's attention because those are the prayers that come from the heart. Those are prayers that believe God's power is unlimited. Now, it's not a matter of words that you say the right things. I mean, I've had people say, well, would you mind praying? Oh, I don't, I don't know what words to say. folks. Well, it doesn't make any difference what words you say. Or the length of a prayer. Man, how many times have I ever been to a meeting? Pastor, can you say a quick prayer so we can go get on to things important? A quick prayer? Yeah. Dear God, amen. Now, it, it don't have to be prayers that go on forever and ever. It doesn't have anything to do with the tone of your voice. Whether you pray quietly, whether you use stained glass words like, oh God. Doesn't make any difference like that. Doesn't make any difference whether you stand or sit or kneel. Doesn't make any difference if you fold your hands this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. way. Doesn't make any difference how you do it with your hands. Doesn't make any difference you've got your head up, your head down, your eyes open, your eyes closed. Prayer is less a matter of using specifics, and it's more a matter of of the heart. Fervent prayers moves God to action because they come from a persistent faith in the face of desperate circumstances. A number of years ago I shared in a sermon a truth that I had kind of figured out. I I call this uh, Kolb's first rule of the spiritual life. This is really one of the biggest things I've ever learned in all my time in ministry. Are you ready for it? The first rule of a spiritual life. God is God, I am not. I really think all prayer is based on that simple truth. God runs the universe, you don't. I thank God for that one every day, by the way. But God runs the universe, we don't. We pray because he's in charge, we're not. See, here's the insight. When we don't pray, when we don't pray, It's because we've forgotten who God is and who's not. Now, I'm not going to question your prayer life. You have to answer that yourself, what your prayer life is like. But I'm going to suggest to you in very strong words, friends, that if you do not pray, a lack of prayer means that you are still trying to run your own life. And to that, I probably should say, how's that working for you? It's a sign that you've decided that you can handle things on your own. Now, you ever seen this little sign? I've seen bumper stickers. It says, prayer changes things. You ever seen that one? Prayer changes things? It does. But I'll tell you, the very first thing that prayer changes is the prayer. It changes you. It teaches you to be completely and utterly dependent upon the Father. It reminds us that God is God and that we are not. Now, I want to wrap up this Message with a very simple theology of prayer. It's got two parts to it, really. Let me tell you what our part is in prayer. Our part is to pray fervently, to pray sincerely, to pray honestly, and bring our deepest concerns to the heart of God. That's our part. What's God's part? God's part is to listen to our prayers, to graciously answer our prayers in his time, in his own way, according to his will. Guess what? If we do our part, God cannot fail to do his part. In that spirit, we approach the Lord's Prayer with humility praying with those very first disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. I think on your outline or maybe on the screen, I'm going to give you just one little simple truth to remember in closing. It's this. Everything that is legitimate to pray about can be found in the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we say with the disciples, teach us to pray. Give us hearts that truly want to pray. Pray. For without you, we can do nothing. Even our prayers are ineffective without your help. And may our study of the Lord's Prayer be more than an intellectual exercise. Set our hearts afire with a fresh desire to know you, to talk to you, to seek you day after day. We pray in the precious name of Jesus who made it possible. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand for our affirmation.